to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. Well, hello everybody and welcome or welcome back to the Limitless Leadership Podcast. It's great to have you along today for this very special bonus episode. Yes, that's right. A bonus episode. This is a recording of the youth keynote by Laura Hancock at Limitless Leaders 2022. And there's really a couple of reasons for sharing this with you today. Firstly, because uh, the keynote was about everything you need to know about youth culture right now. So we thought it would uh, be really, really helpful to share with you on the podcast. And there's some great content. It will really get you thinking. But also because on the next episode, a very, very special episode, it's our first ever live Limitless Leadership podcast with a live audience, also recorded at Limitless Leaders 22. And this was a panel discussion also about everything you need to know about youth culture right now, but reflecting on some of the things that Laura brought in her keynote. So we thought we'll put the keynote up on the podcast feed so you can listen to it and join in with the journey that we went on together with a whole bunch of youth leaders uh, for the youth keynote and the live podcast recording at Limitless Leaders. So we're going to get right into that in just a moment. But before we do, uh, it would be remiss of me not to remind you that the very early bird deadline for Limitless Festival is coming up right at the end of February. And there's an opportunity for you to save £20 per ticket if you get your group booked in by then. So well worth making an advance booking on behalf of your young people. We are very much looking forward to five days together, 6th to the 10th of August on Staffordshire Showground, where we'll share in a time of community and connection and change. We cannot wait. After a couple of years of being shut down because of COVID, we just cannot wait uh, to get back in the room together again with thousands of young people and worship God and invite the spirit to move and just uh, have fun together. It's going to be an amazing time. So limitlessfestival.co.uk to get your group in before uh, the end of February and you can sort yourself out with that very early bird. Anyway, enough of that. Let's get into this youth keynote from Limitless Leaders 2022 with Laura Hancock. Everything you need to know about youth culture right now. Enjoy. As Tim said, my name's Laura. Uh, I work for British Youth for Christ. Uh, I'm at Life Central Church in Hells Owen, where I get to serve on the youth team there. I'm on the Limitless Directional team. Um, yeah, I just really like being with young people, really. Like, I'm not, there's not a lot I'm good at, but I just like having a nice time with young people. Uh, and I've done that in a few different contexts. Um, I've been a, a youth pastor in the church. I've been an outreach worker, detached worker, schools worker, dancer on a team that went into schools. Oh, yeah, big time. Uh, they never let me sing. That was quite intentional, very wise on their part. Um, but I've done lots of different kinds of youth work with lots of different kinds of young people. Um, and really, I guess, what I'm hoping for this space, and this is going to, I'm just, re- I really am lowering your expectations here, is I'm hoping I'm not going to say anything to you guys that's a massive surprise. Um, if I say anything to you that you go, really? Youth cultures like that? One of us has got something a little bit amiss. Like, either we've not been paying attention or I'm saying something completely ridiculous. So what I'm hoping is that this isn't actually a moment where you go, I didn't know that young people like social media. I, ju- I just had no idea. Um, but what I'm hoping for in this space is that it's like an, a, a space to think. 
and a space to reflect. And I don't know your experience of the last two years, but I wouldn't say I've had a lot of time to sit back and think a big picture, really. I've been able to think a lot about social distancing and face masks. And uh, if a young person touches that thing and then they need to hand sanitize and pick up that thing, are we all gonna get COVID? Um, so this really, my hope is that this is a space where we can just take a moment to breathe and go, okay, what's going on? What is it that we need to know? What is it that's timeless and doesn't need to change? And what are some of the things that we need to think through and see our youth ministries and our young people through during this next season? Um, so uh, as uh, Tim said, uh, yes, I work for British Youth for Christ. My role there essentially is that I oversee uh, a lot of the external stuff that we do. So I work with churches, our mission and evangelism work, and I head up... Um, quite a lot of the research that we do and some of that big bits of research some of that's like little bits of research talking to youth workers and youth pastors and young people uh, and I guess what we're gonna talk about now in this uh, next little bit of time is a mixture of what I'm hearing kind of through bits of research that I'm currently involved in uh, some of it's like anecdotal stuff that I'm just seeing and hearing as I pick up and go around and chat to people but I'm hoping that at least some of this you go yeah 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 I've seen that and together we get to sp get some space to go, right, so what does that mean? And specifically, what does that mean for sharing the gospel with young people? Um, now, I want to start with where we have been uh, with young people. Um, and this, uh, it won't be a surprise to you that I want to start by talking about the last two years. I realise my title is very clearly what's going on in youth culture right now, today, on the 19th of January. But um, I think unless we are, just take a moment to absorb the last two years, we don't quite get the context of where we are. Um, and my starting place for this actually isn't the pandemic. Because I think that what we can do is, the of course we will talk about the pandemic, but we can think, oh yeah, last two years, just write it off to COVID. But I just want to talk you through a list of just some of the things that have happened in the last two years that aren't the pandemic. And at the end of it, we'll just congratulate ourselves for getting through. It's going to be one of those kind of moments. So I don't know if you remember two years ago, this time two years ago, the Australian bushfires. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember that. And actually, this was a really big deal for young people. Like, people were, um, that's not funny, I love animals, but like, th there was this huge, like, people abandoning animals to die, people dying, just all this, and you felt already at this point, pre-pandemic, there was some sort of generational stirring where on social media and with young people, people getting, already getting angry. Two years ago, there was something going on. This is not in chronological order. Donald Trump. Uh, now, he can have a title to himself, can't he? His, his, his rule and reign was taking place. And since then, we have seen both the rise and fall of Donald Trump publicly, uh, his impact on social media, false news. We've seen the storming of the Senate. All these different bits, the political landscape, what it's meant to be that kind of leader in the public eye, to be brought down to all of these things going on. And, and again, the... Um, the outcry of young people to Donald Trump's attitude and treatment towards too many different kinds of people. Um, there was a stock market crash in America. Uh, we had the Black Lives Matter protests and all, again, rightly, this stirring in our nation, this outcry of young people, a call to action. Uh, the death of Sarah Everard and then the mistreatment of fe female protesters by police uh, during the visual, vigils that followed them. 
We had the Me Too movement come through. Uh, we've had the exit of Afghanistan. And since we've seen all the troops, of this rise again that feels like all of a sudden I'm 14. Oh, I'm definitely not 14. Uh, in fact, I was 14 20 years ago, 22 years ago, technically. But this, this sense again of, of an, a, an imminent threat of terrorism, a threat of, th like, th so for example, the bombing that happened at Liverpool Hospital, this sense again of, of 20 years ago, of all of a sudden, the, 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 like, the ground is shifting and changing and our, our sense of safety is changing again. We had Brexit happen, remember that? Whichever way you voted, it happened. Uh, and we continue to see the play out of that. And again, I don't know whether you remember how, how young people felt about not having a say in that, about the fact that it's their future, but they weren't able to vote on it, about the fact that generations above them made this choice for them, and they would have to live out the consequences of that. Morality and trust, ability questioned of those in royalty and in government, uh, our national leaders, our, the, the royal family, uh, the integrity of those people that are seen to be kind of put up there as people who know what they're doing and should do right, and again, the reaction of young people to that. Uh, the increasing discussion on polarisation around vax and anti-vax, and of course, we've been for a global pandemic. It's been quite the two years, ladies and gentlemen, hasn't it? When we look back and reflect. And um, the reason that I, I wanted to highlight all of those things is that I think so easily we can say, oh, yeah, it's been rough. Had to wear a face mask for two years. Uh, it's been, you know, lots of lot death and pain and suffering and isolation for people. Yeah. And in all of that, we've been processing this. And if you look at this list and how many of these things young people, they raised their voices for them. And then how many of them, young people felt to a degree something had been done to them by another generation or another set of people. Like, there's a lot of anger here. And so this is the context when we talk about right now, this is the context that we're talking about. And I think it's really important to remember that because it doesn't feel like the next two years will be void of these kinds of issues. And so what does that mean for our ministry? What does that mean for our young people? And of course, the important thing to realise is that as teenagers, these are formative years for them. This is where you learn about the world. This is where your brain wiring starts to really set in. This is where you're trying to learn what the world is like. You step away from the safety of home, step away from uh, the safety of your parents and go, okay, who are my friends? What's the world like? Let me learn, let me explore, let me begin to become my own person. And as this has happened, this is the world that young people have found. And then for many of them, they've found this world through a screen, removed, hearing opinions about these things through social media, which has already got a bias behind it. From unreliable sources, they have this information lens put over the, the things that they read and the things that they see in this charged atmosphere. And we as youth workers ask, how do we relate the gospel to these young people? And how do we meet the needs of young people that reflect this last two years? And so this is where we start. It feels like quite a, quite a significant task. And that, that's going beyond you know, young people who have lost people that they love in this season. Lost family members, friends, people that they care about, lost opportunities, lost things, experiencing grief, uncertainty. And all of these things mount together to form the culture that we are currently in. So... Two or three minutes, just to unpack. Um, 
what are you seeing in youth culture right now and how is it affecting your youth ministry? So uh, off the back of all of that stuff, how are you seeing this play out? Because even in us, I think it is playing out. People are a bit weird at the moment, myself included. Um, and so how are you seeing this play out in your youth ministry? So if you could maybe just chat for a couple of minutes to people around you, uh, just make sure no one's left out. If you really don't want to talk to anyone, just kind of look at your phone really intently and we'll take that as they, they don't really don't want to talk to me. Um, but if we could include people, that would be really good. So just a couple of minutes. What are you seeing in youth culture right now and how is it affecting your ministry? Go for it. If I, I'm gonna, I won't say run, I'll say gently jog in your direction. Uh, would anybody care to share any of what they talked about? I've even got a mask on, I'm ready. Anybody up for sharing a little, yeah, gruff, yes, at the front as well. Nice, well, ease me in. So we were sort of talking about like the intergenerational sort of distrust yeah. that there is and sometimes not even being aware of the culture that we created, mm. but trying to bridge that trust. And Tim was saying perhaps that needs to be more of an idea of how we shape our youth ministries by building trust through allowing them to have influence on what the youth ministry might look like. Absolutely beautiful. We're going to, there's some interesting stats around mistrust that I'll show you in a minute. Um, <clears throat> But that's great, yeah. And as a church, what a beautiful multi-generational opportunity we have as well. It's really quite unique. Barry. Laura. Um, <coughs> due to things like a cancel culture approach to stuff, being more sensitive and inclusive in our language rather than just sticking with the norm that maybe doesn't include everyone. Yeah, beautiful. And the balance in that as well, and again, we'll talk about this in a minute, of where, do you, where, where inclusivity meets truth. Whoa, tricky business that uh, anybody yes I felt like I felt like this direction was mm. I might sneak behind how would you guys feel about that thanks so much thank you thank you I've got massive shoes on as well so I'll try not to tread on anyone yeah we were just talking about like obviously sharing the good news with the young people but uh, one of the reasons behind it is because of what's been going on recently has been telling young people they don't matter mm. like they they They've just been trampled on and they've been ignored and they haven't had a voice. And because of this, like my wife was saying, their ability to challenge things and really talk about things and have deep conversations has now been, um, uh, what's the word, but diminished yeah. throughout this whole time because they just haven't had a voice and they've been told they haven't had a voice. And it's just kind of like, okay, well, how do we approach this? How do we teach them how to challenge things but also find the truth about things rather than accept what's... Yeah. So good. Yeah, Luke, thank you. The yes. And what happens when they don't feel listened to is you, there's a social media echo chamber created um, and it becomes an us against them kind of, and we're going to go there. Like, oh, thank you, Luke. That's brilliant. I thought, Did you hang up? Yeah. I'll hold it and then you won't get my COVID. I haven't got COVID. Also, don't say that. I haven't. I really haven't. I tested this morning. Um, just how when you give uh, young people truth, then they appreciate it. Yes. Um, and then they've got a choice. And then you can see the the reactions when they are actually like, oh, I've actually got to do something about this because they're so used to superficial like responses and like, oh yeah, but they're actually being given the opportunity to grab hold of it, and then the practical application say, right, we're giving you an opportunity to have the truth, yeah. and then you can actually live that out. And they're going, oh wow, yeah. what? Yeah. 
that's yeah thank you so much and I think we're gonna have a great time together because this this is exactly it like we, we talk about and we will talk about um the fact that so many so often with young people there's this sense of well it's my truth but ultimately they are looking for truth and so how does that sit together how do we do that with the inclusivity that we talked about but also recognizing that young people are looking for truth and authenticity and somebody somewhere to listen and have integrity and actually do what they say they were going to do so how do we hold all these things together beautiful um so i do want to just spend a couple of minutes uh talking about the pandemic and the effects of the pandemic on young people um, all of the young people that we're with have contexts. All of the young people who you work with, as you think of the names of young people in your youth group, have contexts and experiences that this pandemic has brought out of them. Um, but as well as individual contexts, there are, of course, bigger things uh, at play nationally. There have been a national effects on young people and on families that have to impact our youth ministry in the way that we see things as well. Um, so, for example, uh, there's been an increased food bank usage. Before the pandemic, one in three children were living in poverty, and that's now one in four. Sorry, there's one in three, and that's up from one in four. Uh, and there's an increase in households with uh, no one working in them. There's been a landslide in wellbeing and mental health uh, and added academic pressure and anxiety. Reports of child abuse and sexual exploitation and neglect had risen by 69% by week 10 of lockdown. That's, I mean... Just take a moment there. Yet, in a Bernardo survey of 4,824-year-olds, 68% said that it was actually not seeing their friends that was the most difficult thing during the pandemic. Um, and again, Young Minds said that 67% of young people believe that the pandemic has had a long-term effect on their mental health. Uh, again, this is from Young Minds. Uh, what has been impacting young people's mental health the most during the pandemic? Loneliness and isolation at 58%. Concerns about school, college or university work, 51%. Not being able to do activities you'd usually do, 39%. Concerns about someone you know getting ill, 36%. Not being able to get the mental health support they need, 20%. Relationships with people they live with, 19%. Concerns about getting a job, 14%. Watching the news, 14%. Concerns about getting ill yourself, concerns about money, and then how young people are portrayed in the media right at the bottom at 10%. Again, uh, same survey. Uh, what has been most helpful for young people's mental health during the, during the lockdown? 65% of people said that speaking with friends is helpful for their mental health. As we think about this, how are we creating these contexts in our youth ministries? Not just that young people turn up and receive a programme, but how are we creating contexts that young people can, can really benefit from? 55% said that exercise uh, was helpful. 54% listening to music. Uh, 45 uh, having a routine, watching TV, speaking to family. 18% that meditation and breathing exercises are helpful. We're going to see a little pattern here later on. 18% that said that gaming is helpful. Just, just helps you shoot someone virtually sometimes. 17% uh, doing a good job is helpful. Interesting. We talked about how do we empower young people. 17% said that mental health is helped when they feel that they've done a good job on something. Uh, doing something new was helpful. And then school or university work is helpful. And so when these young people talked about their top concerns regarding the pandemic, number one was loneliness and isolation, then work and career prospects, the government's response to the pandemic, and certainty in the immediate, which is kind of like just not knowing what comes next. Do we scrap plan B? Do we keep plan B? What's going on? Uh, and then number five, surprisingly, actually, was, was their mental health. 
Um, so as we as we think through some of these things, you as youth workers, this as I say, none of this will be a surprise to you. <laughs> uh, hopefully, uh, none of this should be going. Oh, they were lonely. Um, but it's really important to take a moment to reflect and go. How does my youth ministry? Uh, not alter in truth or the message of Jesus or compromise any of that, but how do we meet some of the needs of what young people have been going through and are still currently experiencing right now? What, how do our youth cultures, um, sorry, our youth clubs and our youth activities reflect some of these needs? So what I want to do is just take the next few moments to talk through um, what well, some of the stuff that we're seeing at the minute in youth culture, what's this looking like now? What's this looking like playing out? What are some of the things that we need to be maybe teaching into with the young, with the young people we're called to steward? Uh, what are some of the things that we maybe need to be thinking about in terms of our own communication, in terms of the context that we do our youth work in? Um, and so some of these, as I say, are anecdotal. Some of these are from more recent pieces of research that I've read and looked at. But first of all, I want to talk about digital relationships with young people. Uh, we'll get there. Uh, now, what's fascinating during the pandemic uh, is, uh, obviously, you've just heard uh, that you've seen lots of stats around loneliness. You've heard Faith and Jess and Sarah talk about the value of face-to-face, -face, the value of their friends, checking in how each other's doing. Um, and what I think I see is this really fascinating tension between now what is considered completely normal, <laughs> normal, there we go, and acceptable across generations, and yet what we're saying. Um, it is, without question, the thing that we were talking about pre-pandemic was young people in digital media. They spend all their time on their phones. Is it okay? How do we manage that? What's their mental health like at the end of that? And then all of a sudden, we go through a pandemic where digital interaction is our only option. And we as youth workers were stood on the sidelines going, they should get off of their phones. And all of a sudden, we as youth, I'm on my phone now as much as the young people, if not more. Because during this pandemic, it's just become normal. The relationship is done digitally, whether it be through messaging, whether it be through video calling. And this, of course, was already normal for young people to a degree, but it's really been embedded in our society and it's stretched the age bracket up as to who is engaging in this uh, generationally as well. And so as we look to get young people back to youth groups and get young people back into the room, we also have to acknowledge that actually the digital now is, if we could even possibly imagine, is even greater than before. The time young people have spent gaming over the last two years is off the charts. Um, for youth workers that I speak to, particularly in urban areas actually, they're really struggling to get young people back into youth groups because they can't get them off their consoles. And so what does this mean for our ministry, for our youth work? Um, how do, and I don't have answers, that's the nice thing, I'm not going to, no, I'm going to let you guys talk about it in a bit. But um, what does this mean? As we hear young people say, um, I, I was lonely, I was isolated, I want face-to-face -face interaction, and yet, still now, primarily the guaranteed way of intimacy and interaction is digital, or what they spend their time doing is more so isolated watching of Netflix or gaming. How do we as youth workers hold these two things in tension, and what do we do with it? How much do we press in? How much do we teach intimacy? And uh, for a generation who are having less sex than, than any generation in years, Yet, porn will have been the only sexual intimacy a lot of young people have experienced over the last two years. And so what does this mean for intimacy? Where young people are increasingly comfortable with the anonymity of a screen, whether it be texting people they know and them not having to see their faces, or whether it be porn and sexual, sexual encounters that way, or sexting. 
Some of the uh, stats from a recent survey that came through uh, from Parent Prospect, 38% of young people had sent sexually explicit images to a partner or person they were speaking with. 42 had received sexually explicit images from a partner or person they were speaking with. 48% had sexted with a partner or person they were with. And 15% had non-consensually forwarded on sex or sexually explicit content to friends. So in this world, how do we teach young people about intimacy and vulnerability about accountability, friendship, when if I'm really honest, there was a deficit in it before, but I don't think we as adults have got this nailed. I think we're not good at friendship, transparency, honesty, vulnerability. We, we as adults are paralyzed sometimes, I think, by what other people think of us. I'm in fear and if we can't demonstrate this to our young obviously I'm not, I'm not saying is go and have a confessional with your young people I'm really not saying that but if we can't do this how do we teach a generation that have just been through two years of digital intimacy sure take that as you want um and how do we teach them and disciple them so uh a question for you guys to have a chat about dead quick. Do you agree that there is a tension between uh, a desperation for face-to-face -face contact but intimacy taking place digitally? How might this affect our youth work and our discipleship? I'll give you a couple of minutes, have a little chat. Okay, so youth work 30 seconds, so you kind of make it up anyway. Has anybody got anything that they would be open to sharing or reflections? Anybody like aggressively disagree with stuff I've said? That's absolutely fine. Yeah? No, that's fine. I love your cardigan though. Okay, let's go. Um, so we spoke a little bit about, we do agree there's that tension. And um, we think when we first went into lockdown, there was this massive, we all wanted what we couldn't have. Um, we all wanted to be back with our friends. Um, but as the lockdown went on and the mental health decreased, it was then terrifying to go back out for young people. Um, and as youth workers, we just need to be open to change. Um, so like Tim was talking about the other day um, with David and Moses, we can't do what we did before the pandemic because the young people aren't the same. Um, so it's about being open to work with them. So if they work better digit digitally, then as youth workers, we need to be open to be able to work with them digitally. Great, thank you. Anybody else want to say a thing? Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, I've noticed that young people um, are able to sometimes engage in the room and be on their digital stuff at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like it's part of their world. So they'll be listening to what you're saying and on the phone at the same time. And it's trying to have those times where I think when they were at school, they were sort of saturated by um, technology. Everything was on technology, you know, and there was no sort of difference. And now it seems they're merging the two. So I think we need to find space for them to have digital time and space for them to not. And how good are we at incorporating that in our in our groups? Um, rather than, right, phones away, everyone. Or maybe we do do that, but maybe there are moments where phones are, in are purposefully introduced. Yeah. And um, just really uh, resonate with what you were saying about this idea of things needing to be modelled, because I, I absolutely think that we need to meet young people where they're at. But I think a lot of the time, they're not actually having those opportunities to, to know what it's like to be in a room of people and how to read people and how to build genuine connection and particularly in a, a culture where, you know, if you upset me, cool, we don't speak anymore. Like, that's not okay. And that's not how the world 
works or it shouldn't be how the world works. And so I think this idea about being able to model what healthy friendship and relationship looks like in a way where we are encouraging people to be in a room, to understand what body language and facial expression does in communication and helping them to, to reflect on, hey, like, actually, when you sit there with your hood up and your arms crossed and, like, basically not engaging, actually, that sends a message to me. And I, I don't know if you know that, but I want to reflect that back to you and see, is that what you want me to think about you? Or, or is there something else that you want to say? Thank you. And there's, uh, there's so much that we, I think, all of this is tension, isn't it? It's not a black, white, right, wrong thing, but there's so much, I think, that we actually have the opportunity to engage with. We've almost, like, got a tool belt that we go, guys, let, let me help you learn this. This is a life thing. You can't sort out huge, massive deals over WhatsApp or Snapchat or any DM. Like, you need to get in a room and you need to learn how to love each other really well. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Uh, another thing that I think is a huge deal for young people at the minute is the future. I still got my face mask on. Is the future. Um, and I think as we talk about this, yes, it's twofold. So it's their academic future uh, and how they're feeling about where the, the nation is going, where their education is going, and also where the planet's going. And the, the, the difficulty within this topic is that for so many things in this, they look outside of their generation and they say, this is on you. Like, my future, this is on you. And so for so many young people at the moment, there's this huge, um, I think there was a sense of betrayal. And we're going we're gonna to unpack this a little bit as we go through in the next few minutes. Um, but I think there's a, there's a lack, in particularly in terms of um, education, there's a lack of confidence. Uh, there's a lack of confidence regarding the quality of their education. There's uncertainty about, I mean, they are going to have exams this year, but how are they going to be done? Who are they going to be judged by? Is it going to be fair? Um, and this is my future. And it's not like everyone's going to go, oh, yeah, never mind, because two years older than me, their grades were great. That was fine. There's just a small niche of us now who are suffering. And what's that going to mean for my future and my prospect and my job? And so they've got this... Um, and this isn't a, like, oh, I'll worry about it in June, July, May kind of time. This is that everything I do right now could be building my future, and it may not be judged fairly. And their futures depend on it. And we have written this story for ourselves because so often for young people, their measure of success was what they got in their exams. And so what does it look like for young people who struggle anyway when it comes to education, uh, when there were already barriers there, when there's this feeling again of struggle and fighting for your future and it being unfair? And how do we talk to young people about success when it's really been sewn into them that this is what the measure is? How do we address that for them? And of course, there are huge levels of concern, frustration, anger in terms of uh, the environment. And there's scepticism and mistrust. And we're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. I, I listened to a young person talking about the church and how little they view the church to be doing, saying, demonstrating on the future of the planet and the anger in their voice. The, uh, because the church, the church clearly isn't for them, because it's not for their future, not for their planet. Um, earlier on, we talked about um, a sense of mistrust in Generations League. I think you mentioned that. Um, and really, this is, as I say, one of the big topics that, that, that there's just huge amounts of generational divide. This is where some of the resentment sits, I think. Um, this feeling that other generations have failed them. And 
I just want to read a little list of quotes. The Guardian uh, asked a lot of uh, young people, young adults, um, how are you feeling about your future as a generation? How are you feeling about how the pandemic's been, been, been dealt with? And I promise you, this is just a selection of about 50 quotes that were in The Guardian. It says this. Um, <clears throat> one quote said, our whole generation has been pushed aside as a problem to deal with later. I am a part of a sacrifice generation. We will inherit a weaker economy, a warming planet, and a glaring tax bill. We are heading towards a future that feels abstract and apocalyptic, that the only hope is that my generation will find the power to fight this battle. Governments have created a rift between young and old, and it needs to be closed. We will take up some of the most powerful roles out there. We need to be seriously better than the generations before us. Our generation has so many issues to face and so many revolutions to lead. So what does it look like for us as the church and us as youth workers to be seen to be people who will fight for their future? And I think it's an important question. And part of the reason uh, I think it's a really important question is because I think it's a question that matters regardless of whether you follow Jesus or not. So in your community, the parents of the young people in your, in your youth work, in your local schools that don't know Jesus, they will care about the future of their kids. They might not care about the future of anyone else's kids, but they'll, they'll care about the future of their own. <clears throat> what an opportunity for the church to say to the local community, one way or another, I will fight for your child's future. Whatever that means. And as you gather around that point, you begin to share why. Because I believe that God has a plan for your child. I believe that God has a plan for you, for this community. While things look so hopeless and the future looks so hopeless, let me share hope with you. And so what does it look like practically then for us to invest in the future and fight for the future of the young people in our youth groups, the young people in our communities, and to create gathering points with families that we're trying to reach in our local community around this thing to bring hope. Next up, uh, I want to talk very quickly about truth, individualism, and cancel culture. Barry mentioned this uh, a little bit ago. Um, we've been talking about this a lot. I'm sure you'd have heard people, I'm not going to spend ages on it, um, talking about this idea of post-truth, that truth is actually determined by my experience, by what I feel, by uh, the things that I, I feel are right. My right is to do what is right by me my emotions, my felt experience. My directions are guided entirely by my internal compass. And who are you to contradict, question, come up against my internal compass? Because this is true for me. Whether that be about religion, whether it be about gender, sexuality, ethics, morality, political views, this is my truth. This is what I will follow. This is my expression of who I am. And that's acceptable as long as it doesn't harm anyone. Now, what's really interesting, and um, many of you may have read it in John Mark Homer's new book, is that he, he raises a really interesting, it's not as new anymore, but really interesting, though actually we didn't really ever define what harming somebody else meant. So even this kind, this kind of ambiguity of my truth, as long as it doesn't hurt you, well, what do you mean hurt me? 
or hurt somebody else? What happens when someone doesn't agree with that truth? What if, uh, the obvious example would be that your truth is actually determined by something external, a set of guiding principles that I know, I know my feelings aren't that reliable. Just because I'm mad with you doesn't mean that you did something wrong. Uh, it's probably my problem. What if my, what if my guiding principles are external? Or what if my guiding principles internally are just different from yours? Or what if it's different from that whole group of people? How do we work that out? Now, if you layer on this whole thing that we talked about earlier on about digital engagement, digital conversation, digital relationship, when that's worked out in a forum that is online, in front of an audience, where you only have exchange text, where you can reply instantly, where everyone gets to see that reply and kind of throw their elbows in and go, yeah, let's stir it, it'll be a bit of a laugh. We can just refresh the feed and see what happens. And all of a sudden, you've got this culture of hatred, um, perpetuated, rising sense, this idea of cancel culture. Now, um, for those of you, uh, whether it's a new term, a definition, a council culture to dismiss somebody or something, to reject an individual or an idea, you are over with, done for. No redemption, be gone. That doesn't sound like the gospel, does it? But you know the interesting thing, and I say this quietly and cautiously, before council culture was a thing, before we talked about it with young people, I've seen it in Christian circles first. And I'm not making any comment literally beyond the words that I'm saying right now. But I've tried to get hold of books, exceptional books, by leaders who have fallen. And they're books, you just can't get them anymore. And the content of those books, I'm not going to they're fire. Absolutely amazing. But we've cancelled them. So how do we do this? How do we create space for people, generations, differing sides of the table to have conversation when I'm finding... And, but again, the church is such a beautiful setting for that. A place where people from different backgrounds, different opinions, political opinions, cultural backgrounds, generational divides, all come together, dwell in one place in unity, have totally different opinions. But we love each other. We work it through. What does that look like very practically in your youth ministry for two young people who hate each other? <laughs> ah, we had a beautiful, beautiful moment on um, me, 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 Friday night where we had a 21st where there were two young people who like six months ago, literally our lead pastor had to pull them apart for fighting in the street. They're best friends again now. But the reason is somebody took time in our church to facilitate that, to facilitate that difference, to facilitate that, that opinion, um, the differing of opinions. How do we deal with the fallout of this? And how do we teach our young people to share Jesus in this context? Like, yes, we need to still be teaching our young people to be sharing Jesus, 100%. I could not be a, a greater believer of that. But are we teaching them what, what comes alongside that now in, in the world that they live in on social media? Teaching them how to deal with people who aren't guided by something external, where this is your truth, but I'm not going to listen to it. Or I'm going to aggressively disagree with it in public, in front of the rest of your school. And that will come with you into your, your, to your school corridors on Monday, into your classrooms. Cancel culture at a local level. Are we talking to our young people about this? Teaching them how to deal with this kind of thing. I'm going to be honest. I'm really grateful I'm not a teenager. <laughs> ah. But how are we helping and equipping and loving them into doing this stuff? Okay. Next up, I want to talk briefly about increased mistrust. Again, Luke, we, you mentioned this earlier. Um, 
you see, this is what is fascinating to me, and I touched on this a minute ago. We have this kind of subjective truth deal going on in culture at the minute, but really, it doesn't add up for me. Because if, like, your truth being your truth, as long as it doesn't harm anyone, were really a thing, then young people wouldn't mind that parties were thrown during the pandemic, because that was what was right for them. And if people really didn't mind subjective truth and things being okay for them, then they wouldn't mind that Molly Mae thinks that anyone can do anything in 24 hours because that will be her truth and her experience, so that's okay. If we really didn't mind subjective truth, then we wouldn't mind if the news was inaccurate because that would be true for them. That's someone's felt experience, so tell me about it. It doesn't matter that it's not entirely accurate. It's what you felt. But what's interesting as we look around, no one thinks any of that's okay. No one. Young people don't. And so this isn't about truth and harm. This is about hypocrisy. It's about ignorance. And it's about mistrust. And as young people look out and say everybody, <laughs> I mean, it's ironic, but they're like, everybody except us. We can't trust them. They don't understand. They're hypocrites. Who, this generation cries, is a valuable and honest source of truth. And the last two years haven't helped that. What's really fascinating is young people spend so much time on social media, and yet they know it cannot be trusted. Um, I don't know whether you guys saw that um, just before Christmas, it came out that um, Instagram have been sitting on stats for two years that, that uh, they, someone leaked an internal document, basically, around uh, Instagram. And for two years, they've been saying, I mean, we all know it's not true, but like, oh, it's really good for you. Instagram's really helpful. Young people, it, it really benefits them. And we're all going, really? You think that? And for two years, they've been sat on stats that sound like this. 13% of users trace suicidal thoughts back to Instagram. Um, they've sat on information that says 32% um, of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. More than 40% of Instagram users who reported feeling unattractive said that the feeling began when they started using the app. About a quarter of the teenagers who reported feeling not good enough said it started when they used Instagram. Now, I'm not, I'm not dissing, social, dissing <laughs> social media here. My TikTok algorithm is full of dogs as much as the next person's. But um, what I am talking about is trust. Even the space where they spend most time, they know they can't be trusted there. Uh, Youthscape uh, did a really interesting survey. And this is the percentage who expect, of young people who express a lot of trust in various institutions and professions. professions. The blue one is 15 to 24-year-olds. Top of the list, doctors and healthcare workers at 61%. Scientists at 56%. Friends and family, 45%. National news and media, 37%. Um, international news and media, 36%. The government, 33%. Ladies and gentlemen, religious organisations come behind that at 32%. And then social media at 17%. Got some work to do. And how do you build trust? It's relational. It's sticking in. It's not in the massive headlines. It's not in any of that business. Uh, by the way, if you want to see this, it's, uh, if you go to the story uh, on Youthscape's um, website, they do a, a magazine and, and that's in there. Uh, you can have a look in that. But how do we build relationship and do that well? How do we become a source of trust for young people. 
uh, a question. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna give you time, guys time to chat about it, but it might be something you want to chat about later. Uh, as young people are more informed than ever before and more empowered to make a difference, what is your experience of the levels of trust or cynicism of those outside of their generations, or in positions of power? Again, the church is uniquely positioned to address this, but how are we doing it? Finally. And very quickly, I want to talk about the faith and spirituality of young people. Some of this, this information will be stats that you've heard before, seen before. Um, I'm okay with that because I think it's important. Um, so where are we now? Uh, this is from Youthscape again. The story, 53% of church youth groups are smaller now than when the pandemic began. Community youth work experienced most severe loss of young people. Uh, Volunteer-led youth work, interestingly, lost fewer young people than others. Uh, from the EA, 24% of churches who offered youth ministry before COVID-19 are not currently offering youth ministry. A third of churches are offering youth ministry in person at least monthly, and 77% of churches are offering children's ministry uh, in person at least once a month. 17% of churches who offered children's ministry before COVID are not currently offering children's ministry. And so we have a battle to fight, <laughs> and we're in a tricky position. But I really would love to finish this keynote on <laughs> with a little bit of hope. Um, I really like being positive, so let's finish there. Um, I think we are in a unique and opportunity-filled season if we're willing to fight for it. Peter Linus uh, from the EA has a, a phrase that he's using at the moment, which I love. That as he looks around a nation, he sees that believers are doubting and that doubters are ready to believe. And when I look at young people, spiritually, it's what I see. There's like, have you know, I don't know whether you have, the amount of young people using crystals. Woo! <laughs> they're searching for spirituality. Like, and they're going to find answers somewhere. And if we're not careful, their TikTok algorithm is going to give it to them. And it won't be a helpful, my guess is it won't be a salvation message that they find. And so what are we going to do? Well, our young people are spiritually hungry. Uh, again, some of you will have seen these stats. I'm chilled with it. We've only got three or four minutes left. You can suck it up for three minutes. Uh, this is uh, some research that I did pre-pandemic. But the reason it is pre-pandemic, but the reason I'm showing it you is because actually I honestly believe that if I ask these questions again now, this would be more the case, not less. Again, a little bit anecdotal, a little bit from research that I'm currently doing and the answers that are coming through. When you look at the spiritual awareness of young people, do you believe in any form of supernatural being or power greater than yourself? 51%, 51% of young people said yes. One in two young people. I'll take that. That's fine. Um, how often do you think about God and spirituality? This is So uh, one of these I did in 2016, at the bottom one, top one was uh, 2020. Interestingly, the biggest answer, both of them, 35%, was that I never think about God and spirituality. If you're telling me that around 50% of young people believe in something, in a supernatural power, and 35% of them just don't think about it, that stat delights me. Well, let me help you think about it, and then let's get that 50% up. Lovely. Uh, if you were invited to find out more about God and spirituality, would you be interested? Um, in 2016, only 18% said yes. I don't know if you can see. Oh, look. Oh, no, it doesn't work. 
Laser, laser, no. 18% green box at the bottom said yes. In 2020, 36% said yes. I think that's even higher now, if I'm honest. Uh, do you believe that Jesus was a real historical person? 53% said yes. There's a mixed review on whether people find that positive or negative. I take that as a positive. I think I'll take it. I flipping will. Um, do you know anyone who is a Christian or a follower of Jesus? 30, uh, 63% of young people said yes compared to 61% in 2016 when we talk about the character of God and who God is and I I don't understand this but again it is what I'm seeing um well this I understand uh, what is the main thing that makes it difficult for you to believe in God 18% because so many bad things happen again it was before 20 all of this by the way is available online um if you go yfc.co.uk forward slash faith and spirituality you can download the whole set of research for free there um we can view it online because so many bad things happen. We've been through a global pandemic. Honestly, I think that stat's going to be higher now. Um, if you could ask God one serious question, what would it be? A lot of young people just didn't know. But look at the others. Why do you let people die? Why is there so much bad in the world? Why do you let people suffer? Is there life after death? Why do bad things happen to good people? Are you real? Why are there wars? All of these things are going to be questions, the exact questions that, that the young people are asking. These are questions in one sense around who God is and his character. How could you be loving and do this? Uh, what might make you think about God and spirituality? 26% when others talk about their experiences of God. 36% through teachers, 70, uh, 37% highest illness or death. Again, if that was 2020, and that's what make people young, young people think about God, man, I need to do this research again. Okay, this though, this is what blew my mind. I don't get it, but uh, this is, again, this is my experience. What do you think God thinks or feels about you? There really weren't that many negative answers. I didn't just exclude the negative answers. Young people said that he loves me, that I have value, that he likes me, that he's interested in me, that, he prouds, uh, that he's proud of me. The only other high answer that I got was that he doesn't think or feel about me. That's an interesting starting point based on the questions that they've got. But what a great conversation starter. Um, okay, we've had this before. Do you, know who, do you know anyone who's a follower of Jesus? 63% said yes. Do you know, do the Christians that you know talk about their beliefs in Jesus? Only 44% of Christians that they know talk about in a way that they understood, like I'm, you're talking to me about Jesus right now. Um, not like, oh, I went to church on Sunday. That, this is who unchurched people have heard being told about Jesus. 44%, which isn't that high. What's interesting of those that said yes, did what they say, or what they shared with you, influence your thoughts on God? Again, 51%. Do our young people understand that when they articulate and share who Jesus is, half of their friends respond positively? We asked, does it like, was it a negative thing? It was all positive. All of it. Do our young people understand the power of what they carry when it comes to sharing faith with their friends who are spiritually hungry? Um, this was interesting to me. So Christian young people, uh, for this bottom stat, 44% of Christian teens disagree that they even have a responsibility to share their faith with others. Now, when I look at those stats before and I read this stat, it makes me think the problem isn't with unchurched young people not wanting to listen. What are we doing about it, guys? What may, I'm nearly done, I promise. What, may, what might convince you that God exists? Again, uh, here, a miracle, evidence, proof. Uh, if I saw him, if bad stuff stopped happening. Uh, at the bottom, stopping suffering on earth, answer prayer. Young people want an experience of God. 
um, I think maybe you might have touched on this yesterday in your seminar, Andy. Um, young people are hungry for an experience of Jesus, not just hearing about him, but experiencing the, their truth, experiencing him for themselves. This is the thing here. Have you had answered prayer? 48% said yes. Of those who said yes, did it change the way that you view God? 68% of young people who have been prayed for, who are not necessarily Christians, and sought an answer, said it changed how they view God and prayer. What does it look like for us to create opportunities in our youth groups and please Jesus outside of our youth groups for young people to experience the person of Jesus through prayer? I'm not, I don't want to tell you about Jesus. I want to show him to you. Let's pray. Oh, that's fun, isn't it? And honestly, how many of us are brave enough to crack on and do that? How confident do we feel to do that? So I think despite all the things we've talked about, there's a lot of hope if we're willing to step up and step into it. Very quickly, this is literally my last thing. Where might we be going with young people? Interestingly, as you look at the generational patterns of young people at the moment, they're most similar to uh, the silent generation. There are gra- the grandmas and granddads, the guys who came out of the war, because they've been through a trauma and they don't trust people. And so that's interesting when we think about connecting generations. So where might we be going? A risk-averse and cynical generation. Less drinking, sex, greater awareness of unseen dangers, that danger could come from anywhere at any time. It could just be around the corner. Don't expect this generation to trust you easily, but they will be really loyal to you when they do. Uh, A generation who values family ties. Now, I'm not saying by any stretch that people's experience of being locked in their houses was positive with their families. A lot have very, very broken backgrounds, and that was we saw that from some of the stats. But for a generation who have experienced more time at home, have experienced the death of loved ones, what does it mean for young people who are passionate about family and generation family in terms of family, but externally really struggle generationally? That's a really interesting tension to hold as we look at this generation growing and changing. Uh, They're passionate creators and participators. They fight and they will speak out and they want to do and they have the tools to do it. But I think if we're not careful, it's a generation that's happy to stand alone because they will fight for them because no one else is fighting. So what does it look like for us to help young people fight for generations outside of their own? to feel loved by generations outside of their own, listened to, advocated for, fought for, that we might build the kind of church that Jesus intended us to. Okay, we're done. Well, I'm sure you'd agree that was such a helpful and insightful keynote from from Laura there and I've no doubt that as you were listening to all of that cultural analysis you were tracking the impact of that in the lives of the young people that you love and lead and it is a challenging time to be in youth ministry isn't it Uh, so many shifts and seismic shifts in culture that are impacting on how our, our young people think and live and form their faith and you you are right on the front lines of that so as i always say in the podcast but i mean it from the depths of my gut thank you thank you for what you're doing to invest in the lives of young people where you are and remember we we publish that on the feed ahead of next month's very special edition 
of the Limitless Leadership Podcast, our first ever live recording. So uh, you're going to enjoy listening to our panel reflect on some of the key things that Laura brought out there, as well as a audience Q&A also recorded at Limitless Leaders. And before I let you go, don't forget to get your Limitless Festival tickets booked in before the end of February so you can save £20 a ticket over at limitlessfestival.co.uk. That's it for this special bonus episode and we'll see you next time on the Limitless Leadership Podcast.